Okay, yeah, welcome to um, to Standing in the Rubble. It's our um, series where we're looking at what is going on in our um, in our world, in our society, in our communities with um, COVID-19 and um, what's going on in America and all what's bouncing on around the world. The uh, we, we this sense that we stand in the rubble in a new landscape and how do we as the church respond to the landscapes we're in? How do we as the church step into the new um, what is our posture? How do we learn to adapt, to live, to bring about God's kingdom in the new landscape that we're being led into? And joining me um, today is Simon Benham, who is um, leader of Carith Church. Um, I was I was going to give you all the locations then, or I was going to give you a location and then go, oh, but then actually there's quite a few locations, aren't there? So why did, Simon, why don't you tell us a little bit about Carith Church and then we'll, um, and then we'll get into it. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's brilliant to be with you. Um, yeah, just great um, to privilege to be here. Um, yeah, I've led Kerith Church for 12 years now. We originally a Baptist church. Uh, so we were started by Spurgeon, or Spurgeon was involved in the first building project in 1880. So good proper Baptists. And uh, we had a long history of um, coming through everything from congregational voting to being leader led to the charismatic. Um, for 43 years, we were led by an amazing guy called Ben Davis, who was raised with first-hand stories of the Welsh revivals, so that is in our roots as a community. And for most of those years we've been based in Bracknell in the southeast of England, and um, about six years ago we started a second site um, in Sandhurst, which is about, um, uh, probably about 25 minutes south of us, um, and then a couple of years ago we started a site in Windsor, um, and then last year we started a site on West White in the Isle of Wight as well. So we're currently on four sites, um, passionate about the gospel, passionate about social justice and practically demonstrating the love of Jesus to our community. And uh, we've got no idea what we're doing, but God seems to be with us and uh, is our guide. Yeah, he certainly does seem to be with you. So, um, yeah, thank you so much. And obviously we've connected through wildfires. Um, yeah. and that's kind of been our, our space where um, some of us as churches have come together to contend for mm. the new awakening, whatever God is up to, whatever that looks like. Um, and and we find ourselves now in um lockdown of sorts kind of lockdown something like lockdown um we find ourselves now in quite extraordinary times um how's this um well how's this been for you how's this last two or three months been for you yeah i think um i'm thinking probably like many leaders the initial probably eight weeks for me were just completely um crazy yeah. And I've never known anything like it in leadership. I felt every Amen. day, the moment I woke up, to the moment I went to sleep, I was phoning people, WhatsApping people, you know, putting little things out on Facebook to reassure people, you know, we had to reconfigure. We already did stream, but not anything right. like the way that we have had to now. So everything's yeah. had to go online and we had to work out how to do that very quickly from Sundays to small groups, to courses, to prayer meetings. Um, all our social justice had to change. So our food bank had to become a drive-through. Um, you know, our debt counselling had to go to be phone-based rather than face-to-face. -face. Um, you know, we had to work out how we do addiction recovery and all those things, um, just wrestling with all of that. At the same time, I think, as dealing with the sadness and sorrow of what's yeah. going on. Um, so, I mean, this morning I took a funeral for somebody in our community who died of coronavirus and just very strange times, you know, funerals are hard at the best of times but you know with Jeez. 10 people there whereas you know we would have probably had 250 300 people celebrating somebody who's been part of our community for 45 years you know there's been all of that yes. but mixed in with that some amazing things happening 
So um, right. Alpha course at the moment, and uh, I think three people made commitments so far. I think none of them have ever been to our buildings physically, any of our sites. And one of them's in Colombia. So and we're just like, wow. How does that happen? How does that go on? And I think. What does discipleship look like there? Yeah. yeah. And how, how the heck do we, you know, he's on offer now, and he's like, how, how do we do that? You know, we've seen a wise in prayer. Um, so I, I've been doing an online um, 6.45, 15 minute prayer devotional every morning since about last October, and that has just grown. You know, there's 60, 70, 80 people on that every morning. Well, now, if that happened before lockdown and they'd all turned up at our building, we'd have gone like, that's revival. Yeah. And yet, you know, that's just become a part of what's yeah. going on. So I think, you know, exhausting. Um, I'm also in a house with five adults, um, two of our kids, and my wife Katrina's um, sister as well. So that, you know, just all those dynamics. I'm an introvert. So actually trying to find space on your own has been I impossible. Hear you. I hear you. There's somebody in every room. Yeah. But I just, yeah, I mean, exhausted, um, you know, but inspired, um, you know, processing the sadness, um, rejoicing yeah. at the good stuff. I think a whole mixture of stuff. Um, so what does, um, what are some of the things you've learned around care and um, caring for our soul in the middle of this, um, caring for and, and enabling your church to care for their well-being, their soul as well? What are some of the things you've learned? Yeah, I think probably the last um, four or five years as a church, we've been on a, a whole journey around what emotionally healthy looks like. Um, you know, we had a guy called Pete Scazzaro who came and spoke at our church. He's a pastor out of New York, and uh, he wrote a whole bunch of books around emotionally healthy spirituality. And, uh, and he really helped us to think about, you know, we think a lot about being spiritually healthy, but um, spiritually mature. But he says you can't be spiritually mature until you're emotionally mature, until you're actually in, you know, aware of your emotions and dealing with those. And, and that really comes out of a, a slowed down spirituality. Right. Um, which I think is often very countercultural for charismatics. And, you know, we love the excitement <laughs> and the big gathering and the people yeah. and, you know, all the yeah. stuff happening. Yeah. And slowing down isn't really in our culture. And I think, yeah. you know, even John Mark Homer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, I know a lot of people have read that book and gone, this is amazing. But actually, you look at their lives and I don't think they've changed very much. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. we've been on a journey of like, okay, what does it really look like to slow down to be with Jesus? Um, and I think I've personally been on that journey. I think I've gone from a spirituality that looked very busy. I felt like in the first 10 years of leading the church, when I got to the end of 10 years, God said to me, okay, you've seen what you can do. Now see what I can do. You know, actually, wow. if you step out of the way and create some space for me, yeah, you know, this is what your activity can produce, and your hard work, and your you know, and I don't, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But it was almost like God went, well, let me into this, yeah, and see what I can do. That's and so we're interesting. A journey of you know yeah. what it looks like to find rhythm in life. That's become a big theme for us. Yeah, you know, what does Sabbath look like? What does even a rhythm to the day look like? What does it look like to you know? One of my things is I, I want to touch my Bible every morning before I touch my phone. You know, I want the first thing that I connect with in the morning to be the Word of God, not Facebook. And that, for me, has been transformational, just in terms of wow. the direction it sets for your day. Yeah. And, um, That's so interesting, you had that journey 10 years in, because last year, last year was 10 years for me. And um, it was, yeah, a year, 18 months ago now, so it was around 10 years for me. And um, and also something similar, actually, which I, and I've not heard any other church leader say it. And, um, and he just said, right, we've come as far as we can go 
um, like to go where I want you to go now, you're going to have to um, you're going to have to be in control of less, and you're going to have to be on your knees more. Um, and it, and and just this whole message of going. I, I want. I don't want you to do lots of things for me. I want you to create space within which I can do lots of things. And um, and just a whole new way of operating, which I'm which I'm learning, which I'm working on. And I've been doing some coaching through this lockdown, um, looking at what does it what does it look like to to stop to to spend more time on my knees what does it what, what does that look like it's um it's a journey it's not an easy journey but it's a i think it's a really important one so yeah and no, i thank you for your encouragement in that i think that's really relevant for all of us and um yeah, yeah so how are you how are you seeing that play out because actually you just talked about how that plays out for you as a leader um that's a really inspiring things there but what's how's that how are you seeing that play out in this pandemic in your church um because we had a um, I'm reminded of a prophecy we had um, towards, I think, towards the end of last year, some point in last year, um, that said, well, as we step into the new, you will need to learn to dig your own wells. Um, and there's a shift, isn't there, in what discipleship looks like? We, mm. Because we're not all in the same place on a Sunday morning. We're not all doing our small groups around each other's houses and whatever. What, mm. does, what does it look like? And, and are you, how are you seeing that play out in your church, in your community, of people digging their own wells, as it were? I think we've, you know, for one, our tribe in our discipleship, you know, to be in this place that we're encouraging people to learn to feed themselves. Yeah. You know, I think with, with kids, part of that journey is, you know, when they're little, you play, you know, aeroplanes with the spoons to get the food in their mouth. But actually, if you've done that when they're 18, there's something seriously wrong. Um, and I think... You know, I think that, that whole journey of us helping people to learn to feed themselves. And I do think in this season where, yeah, they haven't been able to get into all the stuff that we would necessarily plug into. And I've just been really encouraged, I think particularly around prayer. Mm. Um, you know, I think we've just seen a whole different um, dimension of people and not necessarily getting into prayer because they want to pray about a load of things and like intercede for a load of stuff and petition God. But just because they realise actually to get through this season you know parents at home with kids where they're trying to work and homeschool or people who've been totally on their own so we've got a lady in our community whose husband died last year after almost 50 years of marriage and she's isolated totally on her own and i think if you'd said to me like last year would jill cope with this i would have said no she's just going to completely fall apart and yet you know she's dug into god and actually is in a really good place and i, I think you know she's in this season learnt actually you can be isolated you can be in isolation but not isolated mm. and i think it's forced people to push you know to find their own sense of community um you know find their own connections and we said to people like if you're struggling you need to tell somebody you know don't just sit there waiting for somebody to phone you up you know you've got to actually actively you know reach out and and i think we've seen you know our community feels stronger than it's ever felt um you know we just encourage people when you you know, if you have a prompt, if God prompts you with the name of somebody, well, just send that person a WhatsApp or phone them up or, you know, the, the number of stories of people just getting those little things and going, that was just a strategic moment or you don't know how that verse spoke into me. And I think we often think those things, but we don't actually do it. Yes. Um, I think in this season, we've seen people responding to that. You know, I think being in tune with the Holy Spirit, you know, because they're, they're connecting with God early in their days and they're just hearing those God whispers and they're actually reacting to them. And I think the fruit from that has been 
huge. I'm not sure if that quite answers the question. No, that's, that's, that's great. No, I think it's, it's exactly that. It's like, how are we, because um, it's not just, well, people read, pray more, or we, which is absolutely really important, but it's also, you know, I think some of the characteristics of this revival, this renewal, or whatever it is, is that we're mm-hmm. in, or whatever it is that God's doing, yeah, prayer and um in the word is is absolutely part of the characteristics so so is hospitality so is so is that intuition and connecting with the spirit so is that prophesying um and being Mm. relational in our in our neighborhoods and our communities and um you know these are you know these these characteristics these these currencies of the kingdom that maybe that we refer to them as here um these currencies of the kingdom of, of forgiveness and grace and hospitality and and love and generosity and um these are currencies of the kingdom and and how and there's opportunities and i think different opportunities rather than just generosity being on a sunday um when the offerings come around or whatever like how do, we can be generous to our neighbor in the moment or to the person in front of us in the, in the supermarket queue in the moment we can yeah. we can sense what the spirit is doing and prompting and be there in the moment reacting to that and i think that absolutely answers um that it's an exciting thing to hear um so so then can we talk a little bit about um maybe what god is up to what does hope look like um at this at this time you know we it seems strange doesn't it to talk about renewal and mm. you know exciting things that god's up to when we're seeing we're seeing death we're seeing pain we're seeing suffering we're seeing fear we're seeing uncertainty we're seeing the things that we put our faith in just crumble around us we're seeing um maybe countries that we've looked up to like america just crumbling in front of our mm. eyes and, and in real chaos and real wounds that go back I mean, go back centuries and go back decades and centuries, but um, coming to the fore and and all the things that we thought we knew maybe have been shaken. The things that we thought were important aren't important anymore. Um, the and the people we thought weren't important are now really important. And there's this been this whole flip around. Um, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of anger. Um, what is hope? look like if we are children of god if we are agents of his kingdom um what does hope look like in our communities mm. and i think ultimately hope looks like jesus and i think you know we realize we have so little to bring you know we look at the needs and we look at you know eventually what's going to happen financially in our societies and we look at the suffering and we go like we have so little to bring you know i think it was almost like the little boy with the five loaves and two fish um you know, that in our hands is nothing. But I, I do believe, that, you know, the gospel is the hope for the world. And I think, you know, whatever the question is, it's, it's, it's like the cheesy Sunday school thing, but it's true that Jesus is the answer. Mm. And um, I've just been thinking recently about um, the Apostle Paul when he turned up in Philippi. And uh, there's this beautiful moment when, you know, he has this vision of a man from Macedonia and he's not planning on going there, but he follows this prophetic vision and ends up in Philippi. And uh, he just encounters three different groups of people in Philippi. First one he encounters is Lydia, who's this very well-to-do, wealthy woman, um, self-made um, businesswoman. But she's got a sense that there must be more to life. You know, although she's got a big house and all the stuff, um, she's searching and she's by the river, you know, with the Jewish people praying and seeking God. And, and Paul meets with her and she encounters Jesus and she and her household are saved. And then 
is a slave girl who's um, you know oppressed by a spirit and also oppressed by her owners who are using her for financial gain and through the power of the gospel she's set free um, and in Kansas life and then there's a jailer when Paul's in jail and you know famous choir when he cries out what must I do to be saved and we like to think of that as a theological question but Tom White says what he's actually saying is how do I get out of this mess because I'm about to be killed for letting you lot free right and in every sense they all have different questions and they all have different problems, but, but Jesus is the answer to all of them. And an encounter with the risen Jesus is what all those people need. And I think that's where our, you know, us being deeply rooted in our spirituality is so important because that's what we have to bring to people. You know, we don't have you know, necessarily the best ideas or, you know, the most resources or, you know, but, but what we have is Jesus and, and ultimately hope is found in him. And I think that's where, you know, and everything that we do, you know, I think particularly around our social action, our social justice, you know, one of the dangers for us as churches is that we lose Jesus in the core of that. We just do good stuff because we do good stuff, but actually anybody can do good stuff. You know, the atheist can do good stuff and the Muslim can do good stuff. You know, Jesus is our unique message. Yeah. And I think the gospel is, you know, as we said, that, you know, the church is the hope of the world, and Jesus is the hope of the world. And it's Jesus through us, which is going to be transformational. And I think that's the key. Where, that for me is where hope comes because I look at me yeah. and I look at our church and I look at our resources and I look at our ideas and I go, we're not going to fix this. Um, but I think Jesus can. You know? And I yeah, think that's that, so that, key, that isn't it? Hope. Yeah, and I think that's fabulous. And I think, you know, I think maybe one of the things that's shifting um, in this new reality, um, I think so often we've we as church have slipped into this mindset that Jesus is the answer, but actually the theology about Jesus is the answer. So we just need people to believe the right things or, and that's the answer that everything's going to work out. Mm. And um, so we, we might bring this message of, you know, you know, you need to believe in Jesus because you've not done the right things or you need to, and actually, you know, what you just talked about there is that we need to be rooted in Christ and it's going to be revealed through us. The, Jesus is the answer through us because Jesus is already doing the work of salvation and transformation in us. Because when we're rooted in Christ, when Christ is already doing the work of salvation and transformation in us, then, then it becomes hope because mm. actually it's, it's tangible, it's relational, it's, um, it's, it's accessible because it's yeah. it's evidence it's lived out it's it's expressed in love and grace and generosity mm. and hospitality and um, forgiveness and beauty and, and all of those things and and um yeah and i think the um so often we've tried to just deliver the the message mm. um as a theological exercise right, yeah. rather than a relational exercise rather than as well, acts of love you know, in that Philippian setting, Jesus being the answer looked different to each person. Yeah. Paul just speaks with Lydia and they have a conversation yeah. and they talk about the gospel and they talk about faith. You know, Paul yeah. delivers the, the slave girl. Yeah. Um, you know, Paul speaks, you know, we're not about to run away. He, 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 you know, Jesus being the answer does not look the same in every context. No. You know, it yeah. works itself so out differently. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we think of what's happening in America at the moment and, you know, the, the tragedy of, you know, racism being just exposed again, and I was, you know, just weeping this morning, literally on my prayer cast, just, you know, with lament and sadness that, that this stuff is going on again. 
and Jesus being the answer is more, you know, looks different there. Um, but he is, you know, and he is, right. you know, the one who can bring reconciliation. He's the one who can bind together communities that look irreconcilable. You know, he says that you know, Christ is neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile. He is the one who can bring that. But but we've got to be smart enough and listening to the Holy Spirit enough to know what that looks like in that context. Mm. And yeah, but it, but ultimately he is the hope. And yes. you know, I think we've got to keep we've got to be so full of him and then so aware of like you know not losing sight of that we're not trying to just fix people's problems because you can fix their problems but they're still as far from the kingdom as they ever were you know yeah 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 no i love that yeah so good okay thank you so much Simon. one final question for you is there is there a verse or a scripture that is just resting in your soul at the moment or sitting with you that that kind of captures um, something of where you're at or what you feel God's up to in this moment. I think there's um, a, I sort of keep carping on about this Acts 16 story, but it's really right. It's great. All these different groups of people get saved. Um, you know, we're not quite told that the slave girl gets saved, but I like to imagine that she did, and commentators seem to think that she did. And then, you know, Paul gets released from prison and he's about to leave and go off because the magistrates have asked him to go. And there's a beautiful moment when they all gather in Lydia's house. Obviously, Lydia's house is where this new church is going to be established. You know, that, that is the place that the church is going to meet. And, you know, I imagine sitting around in Paul's house, and it says all the brothers and sisters were there. So I imagine, you know, Lydia and her friends sat there, and the jailer and his family sat there, and maybe the slave girl and some of her friends. And they're such a diverse group. You know, you've got Lydia, who's from Asia Minor. You've got the slave girl, who's from this very oppressed background. You've got the jailer, who may well have been a retired Roman soldier. And you've got poor, you know, devout Jew. And in this little home, you have this beautiful picture of the gospel, of this unity coming, of all these people coming together in a home. Mm. And I, I just wonder whether a little bit of what God is doing in this season, you know, I think one of the things that's likely to happen is that actually we, we're not going to be able to gather as churches for quite some time. Um, you know, we're preparing our people. It may well be next year before we can gather in the way that we would yeah, sure. you know, just with kids work and everything going on realistically you know given social distancing and everything we, we either do 10 meetings on a weekend or we're going to be living online for quite a long time none of us have the energy for 10 meetings Simon. none of no. us <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm just wondering whether one of the things that's going to happen is that actually we'll be able to gather in smaller groups we may yes. be able to gather in tens or twelves and actually what might happen on a sunday is people gather in a home and watch you know, like the, the online thing, but in a home, and almost like yes. a, a little picture of that Lydia thing. And actually, whether that might not be just a short-term solution, actually, that might be a long-term thing that we yes. do. And there might be something very powerful about that. That suddenly that. inviting people to church on a Sunday doesn't mean them coming to a building maybe 5, 10, 15 miles away. It means them walking down the street to their friend's house. And I'm yeah, having dinner that. together, spending time together, doing yeah, church together. Yeah. Maybe calling a whole bunch of us to be Lydia's in this next season and actually right. have a church. And we're probably uncomfortable with that because, you know, that all the structure and all the stuff that goes with that and, you know, who's going to take up the offering, all that sort of stuff. But, but actually to be releasing enough to go, actually churches could meet in homes again. And I don't think it means that we have to go like very small. I think, you know, God is not afraid of big churches. You know, the, the church in Jerusalem was, was, a, was a mega church from the day of Pentecost onwards with 3,000 plus mm -hmm. people in it. We, we mustn't go, we've got to deconstruct the whole thing. 
But I think there is that place where there are some Holy Spirit adventures that God wants to take people on that might look like them taking up responsibilities and stepping into things that they would have never imagined doing. Um, wow. And yeah, yeah I'm, I'm gripped by that little picture at the moment of, of like Lydia and all these people in our house worshipping together um, as the church. And then Paul just leaves them. And leaves them, for, you know, he doesn't appoint elders. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't do any of that structural stuff. He just leaves them. And then the next thing we know is writing Philippians to them, which is his most joyful of all his letters. Mm. And to this group of people who he just loves. And he's, he's only writing to them to thank them for the gift that they've given him. He's not telling them off about anything or correcting any <laughs> doctrinal issues. He's just basically a big thank you letter. And it's just beautiful, I think, that picture of that little community that started in that home. Um, yeah, has such influence and impact on our, yeah, our Bible. I mean, it's in there. And yeah. I, I love that sense of like some of the people that God might want to raise up in this new season. Um, oh, you yes. know, some unexpected leaders. I mean, you've got a woman leading that. I mean, that's a whole different question and set of theological issues. But I, I just, it's All really, that. I, yeah. I love it. Yeah, no, that's fabulous. Yeah, love that. Well, thank you so much, Simon. It's been really great hanging out with you chatting this through with you ah, listen to your thoughts great. and yeah and great to just cheer you on and see the blessing that you are and churches that you're planting and and sharing this journey together is just a just a blessing to be with you guys yeah. so thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your insight love it and we'll uh, catch up again soon looking forward to it